It is more good news Wednesday, and I got the diamond here with me. That's right, a dose of diamond dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins pumping through the biceps of Dave and Dosey Diamond. Here we are today. What's up, Mikey Mike? I'm good. I'm great to see you, man. I've been on lockdown, so seeing you is, and now this new grass is yeah, amazing. I appreciate, I appreciate everything you do to help us all create that empowerment of happiness. And my next guest, the first guest, the man himself, Marco Antonio Rodriguez, he is the CEO, the co-founder of Miche, Miche, Marlon Michelada Sauce. He is making it happen. He understands that setbacks, failures, mistakes are just a turn signal to something better. He has evolved a uh, decades of a family tradition. We take on a genetic and an energetic inheritance. Uh, and a lot of times we aren't capable of monetizing that because of what we perceive to be the pressure from uh, family, friends, and history. My friend Marco Antonio wants to talk about entrepreneurship in general and uh, would love first, you know, uh, welcome Marco Antonio to the office. So have you been on here before? I've been doing a thousand of these. So I don't remember. I haven't, Dave. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, man, what a pleasure. You are a true entrepreneur. Well, you know, let's start with you know, what an entrepreneur means to you? Sure. I mean, for me, it's about following my passion. Um, I kind of feel like entrepreneurship has always been in my DNA. It's something that's been ingrained in me. It's something that I've always been doing for the longest time. So, you know, as a kid, I always kind of figured that was going to be my path, you know, and whatever that is, I didn't even know what direction it was, whether it was selling candy or mowing lawns or selling car radios or doing construction or selling phones or whatever it was. But it was all for the purpose of getting better, crafting my skills, and uh, moving on to the next level. Nice, so. Mikey. You got something? I'd say. Smart. Yeah. Was it, was it was it hard jumping? Because it's a family business run business, right? So obviously, there's a lot of moving factors when you jump into a family business and you try to expand it and things. So tell us about that. Sure. Yeah. So my my family. I mean, it goes way way back. <laughs> we started the business about 14 years ago, but it really started with my when my parents came down to the U.S., I mean, there were farmers here in the United States. They migrated here, did backbreaking work, and eventually saved up enough money to start their own family business restaurant. And they they couldn't have picked a better time. They opened it around 2007, so right down right around the time of the housing crash, and uh, things were really tough, you know. But we just kept doing whatever we could to get ahead, and you know, we found that we created a product that. Uh, you know, kept clients coming back for more. So, you know, it was really interesting to see that evolve over time. And we figured, man, we have something here. And people would tell us all the time, you got such a great product here, you should bottle it. And it's like, you hear that enough times, you start believing it. it's like, oh, you, you know what, you're probably right, you got something. But, you know, it's, it's one thing to have an idea, it's another thing to take action on it. And it wasn't really until COVID that, you know, our world was kind of flipped upside down. We had to pivot and make some really quick adjustments. And it was during that time that I finally had a pause to just break, reflect on what's going on and take uh, take immediate action. So it's funny because you hear about a lot of businesses being started in a garage. And I remember one of the first things that I did was go to my garage and sketch out some some uh, what I wanted the logo to look like, maybe what I wanted the bottle to look like, design the label just on the cheapest MacBook program on paint. You know, it costs like three bucks, but doing whatever I could to make. A, a you know just a basic format and then move it over to an export uh, an expert that can make it look better you know so 
and so Marco Antonio, you know, you've won a lot of awards uh, with the michelada sauce itself. Right. Um, you won two minute drill. Uh, okay. I think, you know, they debuted taking home over $50,000 of cash and prizes. But you also have other things that you do that are complementary to being an entrepreneur. One is you partner with Hall of Fame running back Marshall Falk uh, in Virtuity Financial and to help empower others with financial literacy. Mm -hmm. um, you've run all these businesses. You've won these awards. You have, you know, a, uh, a financial background. You know, how financially literate did you see yourself, your family, now that you're working, you know, helping other people? Did you come to any realizations of your own financial literacy through the process of teaching financial literacy? Man, thank you so much for asking that question, because it was really the reason why I got into the, the industry to begin with. You know, I've, I've always had this bigger goal of helping my family and just kind of seeing the, you know, how we grew up and not having a lot of money in our household. You know, what kind of an impact that made not living in the best neighborhoods, the safest neighborhoods, not being able to eat some of the best foods. So, you know, entrepreneurship to me has always been a gateway for me to be able to help more, be able to provide for my family. And uh, when I've been working, grinding, going to school, working full time, and when I finally graduated, it was time for me to move on to the next step. I applied myself at a lot of different companies and I ended up deciding to work with the company that gave me no promise of a guaranteed salary, no hourly. You know, they said, whatever effort you put in is what you're going to get out of it, but you have the opportunity to help people and educate them with financial literacy. And at the time, I'm like, geez, I want to learn about financial literacy. We don't have money in my household. How do I, how do I get it? How does it work? How do I multiply it? How do I protect it? And that began my journey working in the financial service industry. And uh, it really was about just trying to help my family at first and help my community. But it evolved. I realized through that I can make such a larger impact um, by not just educating people, but also making a lot of money so I can help a lot of people and give back to the nonprofits and all the philanthropical goals that I have. So I have a question for you. So, you know, you said you came from uh, uh, we'll say not say poverty, but you were struggling, right? So you're in a thermostat, right? Our inner thermostat is rated, it's affected by how we're brought up. How did you switch that? How did you say, you know what, I want to, uh, this is where I'm at, but I see a better future for myself. And how did you go through that process for people that may be watching and saying, you know, I can't do that, but you've been very resourceful. You know what I mean? You have an idea, you go in the garage and you find someone else. Can you take us through that process of what goes through your mind when that goes through? Sure. It's interesting because Dave and I have talked about this internal thermostat that I have, and it's something that's ongoing that I'm constantly working on. Um, you know, growing up, I always felt like I had to work a little harder. I had to shine more. And it was because I felt this inequality of how I was treated compared to my peers. Um, so I always had this ego thing of like, hey, man, I'm just as good as you. You know, I'm, I'm not better than you. I'm just as good. I deserve to be treated equal. So for me, it was it was about equality. And uh, again, it's still something that I'm constantly working on and, and evolving. I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, um, even adding some of these practices that I teach to my clients and applying them to my life, my family's life, making sure that we have the wills and the trust and the life insurance and all the things that are in place that are important that I talk to my clients about, but making sure that obviously we have them first and then work outwards. So 
you talk about working outwards and one of the things that entrepreneurs have a difficult time doing is looking inwards. Uh, you know, you have uh, this energetic and genetic inheritance, this thermostat, and yet your family is one of the most consistent, persistent families uh, through 2007, 14 years later, having, you know, a successful restaurant that then COVID re-engineers into a successful michelada, michi michi, marlin michelada sauce itself, as well as the restaurant. Um, but yet we still struggle with the counterintuitive notion that we have to look within ourselves with your new, uh, whether it be Virtuity Financial Partners with Marshall Falk or the Michelada sauce, uh, we forget about how long things take. Or moreover, we forget that we're at the right place at the perfect time. That, you know, history is wonderful for only one reason, not to stumble over the roadblocks behind us that are always given to us. I, I, I call them turn signals, not roadblocks, uh, you know, that the source the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source has given us to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. Don't put your hand in the fire. I know you don't think this is going to hurt you, but it is. So I'm going to go ahead and protect you. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to give you pain the same way as if you try to reach when you were three years old to put your hand in a fire. But I'm all-knowing, omniscient, and all-powerful. And so take my roadblocks as a positive propellant, propelling you to something better, not as punishment. Why is it, Marco Antonio, that all entrepreneurs forget this and they get so impatient, even if historically, even if their own genetic and energetic inheritance have proven that everything comes at the right way at the perfect time? Why is it that we attach our emotions to that outcome and we can't wait and don't understand why things haven't happened yet? I think it's because of our understanding of, of time. <laughs> And how it's a human-made construct and we apply so much pressure on ourselves to do things within a certain time frame and i've had to learn over time that things don't happen from one day to the next it's about the consistent persistent pursuit of our potential you know and i'm at a point now where i'm i'm happy and i'm okay with where i'm at but i'm never satisfied i always want more i'm always looking to build my craft and uh but I feel like that's a big reason. I mean, we're also looking at social media and comparing ourselves to everybody else on there. And, um, you know, that could really get to you as a young male. I just saw this article that was posted on social media the other day about how college is producing educated, broke, in debt males and lonely. You know, and I was just thinking, man, that's that's pretty rough, you know, considering that it's a it's an institution that was designed to try to build us up, but really it's kind of keeping us behind. So now all these pressures of getting educated and starting a career and becoming successful, the world is changing. So we have to kind of change with it. And uh, so for me, it's just patience. I, I, I think we lose patience. Yeah. You wonder if uh, college is the new Ellis Island, that it's an indoctrination of loneliness, separation, uh, you know, judgment and condition and uh, you know, resetting some ways. Uh, the affluent uh, and the ones who are willing to invest in themselves. So uh, we do need to invest in ourselves in different ways. And that's part of the reason, you know, why uh, to partner with the Marshall Falk with Patuity Partners in the financial literacy is that not all education needs to be with an institution. I say the number one thing about going to college today, and I'm very pro-college, uh, is timing and risk tolerance, right? As long as your college is aligned with your timing and risk tolerance, then you don't end up broke, alone, 
stressed when you get out, you end up educated. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's multiple ways of educating and multiple things to be educated in that we don't even have the structure or the knowledge uh, or the professors in order to teach, uh, you know, half of the things that are utilized in order to make money, help people and have fun today. That's why there's so many extraordinary entrepreneurs today that may not even have finished high school. Uh, Mikey, I think we uh, actually have time for one more question. Uh, load it down, clean up hitter, give them a, a curveball. Well, you know what I was going to say? Um, do you, I was grateful with certain things that happened in the pandemic because it allowed me to reflect. Are you grateful that it gave you a chance to reflect on things and then pivot and move forward? Are, are you, do you have gratitude for that, even though it was like it's uncertain times? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's unfortunate all the people that have gotten sick and passed away from, you know, during the pandemic. But I can only speak to what it's done for me and it's allowed me to focus. It's allowed me to get ahead, build my business, build a lot of relationships um, and invest in myself. That's one thing that I did during the pandemic is I did a lot of self-development, a lot of coaching and an investment in yourself go a long way. So I'm I'm grateful for everything that's happened the way it has. I wouldn't change it any other way. Um, again, it's unfortunate people passed away. But I mean, if it, for me, I see things as an opportunity. And that was an opportunity for me to to stop, reflect, and take action on a lot of things that I've never really had the time to do or in my mindset I didn't have the time to do. But I was so caught up into the day-to-day -day routine that um, I didn't prioritize it, you know, and the pandemic allowed me to do that. But, uh, Dave, I just want to say one real quick thing because I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned about what we're doing with Virtuity Financial Partners and our push for making sure that everybody has access to financial literacy. You know, um, where we come from, there's not a lot of people like us that are talking about finances or how money works. We all work to make money, but we don't know exactly how to multiply it and then retain it and then making sure that we transfer that wealth over to the next generation by creating those, those you know, things in place. Um, but that's a big push for us. We don't we don't leave anyone out. You know, it's, it's about making sure that everyone gets served. Doesn't matter how much money they have or how little they have or how much debt they have for us. It's more about educating people, empowering them with the information so that they can make the right decisions on their own. And, you know, not everyone can afford a college education. And even when you do, they don't teach you a lot of the stuff that we do through some of our um, curriculum. So I'm really grateful to be working with Marshall Falk, you know, yourself, because it means that we could get all the same resources that we have for our top NFL guys and give them to our community and at no cost. And when I sit down with them, it's all educational, you know, provide a, uh, a complimentary financial needs analysis that's custom tailored to that person and their goals. And we never ask for a penny. But through that process, if we add value, we generally end up doing business. So thank you, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm, I'm really happy to be here today. You got it, my friend. Marco Antonio Rodriguez, co-founder, CEO of Miche Miche Marlin, Michelada Sauce, and partners with Marshall Fall Call of Fame running back with Virtuity Financial Partners, utilizing their resources to educate us and make us all financially literate. Make sure you don't get so busy working, Marco Antonio, that you forget to make money. That's something that my grandfather taught me. So thanks for joining us here on Office Hours. Next up, I'm so excited as we are moving forward. Uh, it's amazing. We don't want to take for granted what other people are wishing for. And we're blessed to have Gloria Feltz here with us, co-founder and president of Take the Lead. 
uh, take the lead, um, understanding how men and women, uh, I, I would put it in my words, I, I think what I love about take the lead is it's something I'm looking for. It can be used not only just for men and women, but how can we appreciate how we're the same, but also appreciate our differences? And I think we're losing both of those aspects today that people just can't appreciate how we're the same. And then if they do, they trivialize it and they don't think about, okay, let's take the next step. Let's appreciate, let's add value to how we're different. Um, and I love uh, this program. How did you develop and evolve uh, to uh, create this um, very useful, especially today, uh, program of Take the Leap? Hi, David. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi there. So great to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, I, I became obsessed with trying to figure out why women hadn't reached parity in leadership about 10 years ago. Uh, we were earning already 57% of the college degrees and had been for about two decades. We The business case was so crystal clear that companies with more women in their upper leadership are more profitable. I mean, you know, once you've got the business case, what else do you need? Well, I'll tell you what I found out you need. You need for women to have in our own minds the the ability to embrace the power that they already had. They didn't even know they had it. And and then when you're faced with implicit biases in the workplace and you don't know you have the power to make change, you step back and you don't put your hand up and say, I want that job. I want that raise. I want that position. So I, I, I created a, a program for uh, I, first, first I wrote a book, then people started asking me to teach workshops using the book. And then lo and behold, I unretired and started take the lead. <laughs> I call it I call it repurposing. No, there's repurpose. no retirement. Yes, okay, all right. I, I repurpose. There's only my one retirement you're allowed in your life. <laughs> that, that's the end. That's the permanent one, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to do that one yet. No. So yeah, I so I I I I realized that if I taught a few women this material, that I could have an impact, but. If you really want to make big systemic change, you have to have an organization. So I co-founded Take the Lead, which is a nonprofit organization with the mission to prepare. That's training, develop, that's in, that's uh, coaching, inspire, that's role model programs and thought leadership. Uh, that's to uh, change the narrative in our heads from focus on the problems to here are the solutions as I'm very solution oriented. And, uh, and I found that women needed that comprehensive program, that there were many leadership programs out there that were good, but they did one thing and they thought one thing was a silver bullet, but no, you really need all of it. So I started seeing women have these incredible breakthroughs. And, 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 and then I, after working with women for the last 10 years on this program, I realized that uh, once you know you have the power and you have had some techniques to embrace that power and encouragement to, there's a big next question that has to be asked. And that next question is the power to what? The power to what? So the next thing holding, holding women up really was now, once you know you have the power, how do you, how do you have higher levels of intentionality? so that you know you want that 
that role. You want that 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 situation. You know you can start a business that will be not just, as I often say, not just selling each other jewelry. You you want you want to create a, a business that is like apple size or you know that that creates wealth. And uh, so I want women to have that kind of a mindset so that they can think bigger, see themselves bigger, and really have the will and the skill to achieve those things. So hence, I wrote my latest book, Intentioning, uh, which is with a kind of a long subtitle, Sex, Power, Pandemics, and How Women Will Take the Lead for Everyone's Good. And I had to make up the word intentioning because there wasn't the right word. Um, Wasn't in the dictionary, wasn't in the thesaurus. I googled it, it, wasn't there. I, I wanted to imply that I'm talking about doing not not thinking. I, I, you got to think it first, but if you don't do it, it doesn't matter. So there we are. That's that's the the, the long and the short of it. Beautiful. When you're working with women and you, to to get them to reframe their perspective, to take that risk and stand to the gap and have faith in the process, what are some of the things you do? Because you know, it, it, you're taking people that have a lot of scarcity and a lot of fear. They're mm-hmm. afraid, like you say, to have intention and step into that that unknown. So what are some of the things you do to help people reframe their perspective? Well, so the first thing I think that uh, every leader has to do, uh, this is the essential fundamental thing. And the first of the nine leadership intentioning tools in the book Intentioning is uncover yourself. The great leaders know themselves very well. And the thing is, when you have not been the group in power, you you pretty much have to cover a lot of things about yourself in order to survive. And so you suppress elements of yourself. Well, the truth of the matter is what sets you apart tends to be what gets you ahead too. You know, you, you develop, you develop superpowers from that, that, that dance that you do to try to fit in. You learn what women have learned is if they've learned how to read the room, they've learned how to under, to catch the emotional nuances of what's happening in the room, as well as what people are actually saying. So we have to use those things as superpowers. So those are two, those are two of the things that, that I work with women on. Number one, uncover yourself. You need to, you need to be really clear about who you are and you have to, to, I would say, own it and show it. And secondly, because truly people know when you're not being fully yourself or fully authentic. And then secondly, look at the bias that you've experienced as something that can create positive attributes in you. Uh, you what, whatever hardships you may, have de- you, you may have experienced in your life have developed some kind of positive uh, knowledge that you can use. And um, so for me, having having been uh, one of a very small minority in small Texas towns for my growing up years, I what I eventually realized was that taught me how to navigate successfully across many cultures. And that is a skill that has stood me in very good stead as a leader, because as we have an increasingly diverse society and workforce, it's really important to be able to listen to different languages. You know, you can you can hear regardless of the accent and you can understand what people are saying and you understand and you appreciate, you appreciate different cultures and you can navigate smoothly and, and successfully across them. So and, and by the way, that has to that 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 is with genders also. I teach one of the courses I teach is called gender bilingual communication. Because <laughs> 
<laughs> so that men and women can learn to talk to each other. Which is so I have three daughters, so uh, I probably will read that chapter again. Um, <laughs> and so, but you said appreciate, right? We're appreciating the, the differences. One of the things that, you know, I'm blessed in my career is that I started it in the 80s uh, and then graduated law school in the early 90s and, and been able over, you know, 30 years now uh, to see great advancement mm -hmm. despite, uh, you know, intentional bias and implicit bias and unintentional bias. Uh, but one of the things through uh, this assimilation uh, with the leadership of women that I've seen is understanding playing the game. You see, when you're not allowed to play the game, mm -hmm. and then even though you're qualified to play the game, and I come from a sports background, obviously, and I see some extraordinary college athletes uh, and minor league athletes that they're not allowed to play the game, or you know, my own business partner, Warren Moon, wasn't allowed to play quarterback in the NFL and had to go to Canada for six years uh, because they said he wasn't intelligent enough because of the color of his skin. But because of that, he practiced six times as hard in Edmonton and became possibly the greatest quarterback of all times, the only African-American quarterback in the Hall of Fame, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but more importantly, my oldest daughter graduated college and we were going through and creating a resume and looking at different opportunities. And it was very interesting because she still didn't know how to play the game. You know, she looked at, I, I have, you know, looked at the thing and it said three years experience at this and where I see so many young men go, ah, I got that covered. <laughs> oh, yes, right? yes. And, and I, I, I got to raise my hand. I, I, my first job, it said four years of litigation experience. And mm -hmm. I went to the interview and said, I'm in law school, but I, I'm in moot court, right? I, I wanted the chance to sell them. And I ended up being a seven figure job because I didn't look at the, the requirements and say, I don't have four years of litigation experience, but I've litigated with the civil clinic at the, at the law school. And most importantly, I can sell, right? That's what the job is for. And so, you know, I've won moot court competitions and my, my daughter, my oldest, not my middle, she, she knows how to play the game, but my oldest daughter, I had to convince her, you have this experience, even though it's not exactly, and she ended up getting the job, right? And now she's, happily in New York City, working for a huge company. But if yet I didn't know how to play the game and nobody was there to guide her, she never would have even applied. And both the company and her would have lost out. How do we accelerate for women especially, and because it applies to minorities, but women especially, how to play the game now that you're qualified to play? You're up in the big leagues. No, that, that is such a great example, David. It's just absolutely spot on. Uh, we, we, I mean, and statistically, we know that if a man sees three things in a job description that has 10 qualifications, he'll apply. If a woman sees one thing she can't do, she will not apply. And that gets back to this initial, you need to know the power that you have. You need to understand, you need to, rec you know, you need to know how to assess your value. And I couldn't agree with you more that you do have to know how to play the game. Even if your goal is to change the game, you first have to know how to play it. And it's only been about a generation that girls have had the opportunity to play team sports and they still don't do it as much as, as boys do. I want to tell you that makes a huge difference uh, because they learn when they learn that teamwork and they learn you can you can compete and you can fail and you can come back to play again the next day. And, and I have to add to, to the truth of that. Do you know there's, I forget the exact percentage anyway, 99% of statistics are made up, but there's a huge, <laughs> huge percentage 
women executives that played college sports. Yes. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's an incredible number that will blow your mind that how many women executives yeah. played yeah. college sports. I know. And, and, I, the value. and I was always the last person chosen for the baseball team. So, you know, I've had to really work at some other qualities. That's not just a female thing. That's a lack of talent thing. Right there. I'm the king of average athletics. <laughs> Sorry, the king, the king of average <laughs> athletics. Gloria, we, we well, I don't love. even make average, so <laughs> <laughs> we love having you. We have many other shows to have you on. Please continue to empower others, to empower others, to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, have a lot of fun. The one thing I love about women is we all come from them. That's the, yes, the one thing right. all human beings True. have in common. Without them, we would not be here. Yet, I don't understand how we don't somehow <laughs> elevate that one thing alone that they are, you know, very involved in us being here. So I appreciate everything you're doing to help my three daughters and so many other daughters and granddaughters out there for a bigger, brighter future so that we can have the higher uh, intelligence. Uh, species running this world instead of the ego uh, in interfering human beings like the two gentlemen that on my screen are above you. So thank you so much for helping. Thank us. you. <laughs> right thank on. You. Thanks for having me. <laughs> bye bye. Gloria Felt, GloriaFelt.com. She's amazing. You'll you'll see a hundred years from now, they'll look back and say, "What idiots these guys were." They were suppressing, the, the, you know, it, it's like the most idiot. It's like putting more in moon up in Canada, thinking you're helping the NFL. Right. That's what we're going to look back and say, oh, yeah, let's just take, you know, this incredible source and stifle it and, you know, put it into a box and and make it more difficult for them to lead us. I, I'm blown away. But anyway, I'm biased. <laughs> Reverse biased. Anyway. Reverse all right. We're, we're never short on talent here. That's for sure. And we have my friend Daniel Dubois and co-founder of Key Life at key.com uh, and talking about home ownership as a service, uh, which is, a you know, I, I love the way we're re-engineering all the oldest institutional uh, aspects of our life and uh, looking at how to, you know, make home uh, ownership as easy as grabbing an Uber, I guess. Uh, anyway, Daniel, welcome to Office Hours. Yeah, thanks so much, David and Mike. And I'm excited to talk to on the average athletic show. I thought that was a lot of that was yeah, a previous episode. It was <laughs> so good. I gotta create a show called the average yeah. my sports. I'll do that one at the the win <laughs> my new studio with Blue Wire. The average yeah. athletic. I'll bring on all the guys that didn't make it and it see where they're yeah. at. Uh, yeah. and women and women. I said guys again. See, she was right. Uh, well, you know, the biggest investment that most people make is in their home. Uh, and it's the best investment you can make if you know how to make it. All the laws in America, for example, I know you deal with Canada and America, but all the laws in America from the basis of our foundation, the inception of the United States was really to protect the landowner. Uh, and the whole idea of becoming America was to have the right to be a landowner. Uh, and, you know, so if you look at the 270 some years that we've been around, it seems to be pretty, uh, you know, interesting and obvious that to be a landowner may work in, in your best interest, but we have created hurdles for those people that either don't know how or don't have a lot of money. It seems to me with life at key, you have uh, dissolved or dissipated some of those challenges of, of home ownership. 
Absolutely. And um, home ownership is so foundational to the middle class, right? Of being able to get on a property ladder and build wealth. And we have a shrinking middle class because of just how unaccessible home ownership has become. I live in Toronto right now. It's 27 years on average to save up for a down payment. 27 years. Wow. It used to be four years, right? I'm wow. from Vancouver and it's 35 years in Vancouver now, right? And most people's income isn't going up at the same rates as housing prices. So you're getting further and further away from ever being able to own, right? So this is a proverbial rental treadmill. So young people have two options. They're rather an owner and they're, you know, they're qualified for a mortgage and uh, they're fortunate enough usually to have the support of the bank mom and dad, right? To get in in the first place, or they're stuck on the rental treadmill, right? Where they, uh, they're constantly trying to save up to be able to own, but uh, just aren't in a position to one, have enough money for a down payment and two, have the cash flow to be able to service their debt and qualify for a conventional mortgage. So key is a third option or a new model for home ownership where someone can own a home with just $15,000 or 2.5% of the value of their suite. And they have the freedoms of renting. So they're month to month short notice and go. Um, and the way that that works is that you're in a co-ownership position. So you co-own your suite with the original asset owner, which could be a developer, a large institutional investor, um, a large single family rental owner, as an example. And every month, just directly on our app, you can choose if you buy up or sell down your equity position, which immediately impacts your monthly rent. So you can't buy a house with $15,000 and be rent free, <laughs> right? There's there's a catch and the catch is that uh, is that you pay a monthly rent, but you get a discount to that rent based on your proportionate ownership position. And how does the exit work? If you purchase an equity ownership, uh, how, is there an, an exit where you have a first option to buy? Or if the home is sold, you obviously would get your percentage of equity, I imagine, since it's a month-to-month lease. How, how does the exit work on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And that's what makes key uh, foundationally unique in the in the market is we're actually an ownership model from day one. You can own a home without ever qualifying for a mortgage, right? You actually have skin in the game. And um, after three years of living in your suite, you can choose to buy it outright. Um, and that's qualifying with a conventional mortgage, right? And that's like, that's what you see with a lot of rent to own schemes, right? Where there's usually a deposit schedule and then a trigger event. But with traditional rent to own, you have to decide if you want to continue to rent and often you forfeit some or all of your deposits that you've made towards ownership, uh, or you have to qualify for a mortgage. With Key, every month you can choose to buy up your equity position or redeem some of your equity. Uh, so redemption right now, when you're living in your suite, the way that that works is you have a home equity line of credit. So you actually, as you buy up more of your equity, you pay less rent. If you wanna take some of your, uh, your cash out, you actually just increase your home equity line of credit directly in our app. Um, everything is, is real time through our partnerships. Everything's as a service in our model, right? Uh, and then when you go to move out, you uh, we have a certified appraisal uh, appraiser that comes in just to verify the value of the suite. On a monthly basis leading up to when you move out, we use automated valuation methodology so we can calculate the value of your suite in real time. So there's not a bidding war. Uh, there's no lack of transparency. You know exactly what your suite is worth. And that's the price that you're buying in or selling at on a monthly basis. I love math. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a ton of fun. It's uh, you know, it's it's great to have meetings and people's heads exploding in the traditional industry, but uh, we have an incredible amount of support from our investors, from government, from industry. And uh, and something there needs to be multiple solutions here, right? It's such a massive industry. Um, 
and uh and there's there's you know people squeezed out talking to someone in Austin recently uh they were mentioning that's one of the biggest challenges that the city of Austin is facing they're ranked 25th right now there's 24 other cities in the United States that are that's more inaccessible than Austin to own a home right so yeah I mean it was the number one place to live right I, I love when you know these new kind of hot cities take over because Dell moves in there and then you know, and then all of a sudden, all the things that California has experienced over the last 50 years start occurring. And then slowly but surely, the weather tax or the employment tax, meaning better jobs and better weather, uh, you know, start taking over and boom, all of a sudden it's not so accessible and affordable. Uh, go ahead, Mikey. No, I just love that. It's funny you said that because I was someone the other day that said they're in Austin, I'm in Houston now. They had to ask 150 thousand over the asking price and there was already 22 bids on the house and she's lived in Austin all her life but um i love what you said that you know prices are going up but you know wages aren't going up unless you're an entrepreneur and you can create money so here's a question for you what made you uh start such an incredible business for people was it because you were struggling to buy a house or you could see in the future this was going to be the next thing what what, what made you have that incredible idea yeah, thanks, Mike. That's a great question. Um, I started two venture back companies when I was in college. I sold those a few years ago and I joined Airbnb full time. When I joined Airbnb, I hired a realtor to help me find a place to buy. I was moving from Vancouver to Toronto. And then I just felt like I wasn't at a point in my life that I was ready for a long term mortgage. I was actually talking to an executive at Airbnb and he was like almost taken aback. Like You're buying a home, but your, your team is in San, San Francisco. There's a real chance that you're going to be moving to San Francisco within the same year. And if you buy a place and you sell it a year later, you're not getting any further ahead. Uh, and there's all this time costs and hassles associated with the traditional journey, right? So I ended up coincidentally uh, renting a, uh, a loft in a building that Plaza Corp built, uh, one of the largest developers in Toronto. Um, at Airbnb, I managed most of Canada, a bit of Eastern United States. And I was working on uh, a new technology group where we looked at tech that was three to five years out that would impact the future home sharing. And one of the projects I was looking into is fractional ownership and everything as a service. So I just I just like firsthand experienced this world where I felt like I wanted to have some of the benefits of owning. But real estate was so binary of you're rather an owner, you're a renter. Um, and I wanted the freedom of renting. Right. I spent the last 10 years building sharing economy companies, marketplaces where it was all about access over ownership. Um, and the only reason we value access owner, over ownership is because ownership forfeits our freedom, right? So what if you could have most of the benefits of home ownership, but with the freedoms of renting? I, uh, I had an incredible meeting with Nate Blacharzek, who's one of the co-founders of Airbnb, and he was just so supportive. We had another one-on-one two days later. Uh, Jaja Jackson, who's now at Iconic Capital, I met with him, who's the head of multifamily at Airbnb. And he came up to me the next day and he's like, you know, when you're back to back meetings and you have to change your, your, you know, your mindset every 30 minutes for the next topic. He's like, I was driving home last night and I was trying to go to bed and I just like couldn't shake our discussion about this, this model. So he's like three thumbs up, you have to leave and you have to make it happen. So um, I pitched one of the top VCs in Canada. They're called Plaza Ventures. Um, they're the venture arm of Plaza Corp, this large developer whose building I was, I was coincidentally living in. And the founder of Plaza Ventures asked some really good questions and then told me he's been thinking about this for over five years and has over $2 billion real estate in their pipeline uh, on the other side of the business. So long story short, I took a step back from Airbnb and now my co-founder, Rob, who started Plaza Ventures, 
uh, took a step back as a GP, um, as a co-founder of this fund that has you know, seven full-time employees and a great track record. And then we started to build out key together. You know, Daniel, the one point that we didn't get to, they just kind of from Mike's question came out that's so genius that I didn't think of was the ability, you know, to to move. Mm-hmm. And, you know, w- you know, what one of my strategies is to utilize Airbnb and VRBO because I don't believe in ever selling a property today. It doesn't make any sense with interest rates so low. I don't care what the price is. I just want to know what the payment is and what the market will bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because, you know, w- once you get in at a payment and the market, you know, will bear this today, it will continue to bear that and more uh, in the future. Uh, and so, you know, obviously fractional tenancy and fractional ownership uh, is absolutely something I've had my eye on, but I didn't think about this positioning where, you know, you have a young uh, upward uh, urban professional that moves often because they want to take different jobs or have a family. And now you don't lose the equity or have to pay taxes, you know, all, all the different things uh, as you're writing off uh, the the rent against your equity and, and playing around with what part or portion goes towards equity and then the transference to another property uh, in ownership. Uh, it, it's genius. And I can see why, you know, when you get genius ideas, meaning you're expressing God through you, uh, people respond accordingly, like your boss telling you, hey, you're amazing, but you got to leave. Uh, because you're much bigger than where you're sitting right now. Uh, and that, that's really nice. When I was at Samsung, uh, uh, I ran the phone division in 99, and we became the second largest manufacturer of phones. I was in the data division, so I had the world's first smartphone. They didn't even call them smartphone. They called them convergence device. I had a different experience at your age. They came into my office and said, hey, you got to leave. The job's way too big for you. <laughs> which, was, which was really true and really hard to take you know, as I just turned 32, it was really hard to take. So what I decided to do is just lie to people for years and say, you know, I semi-retired in, in my 30s from Samsung, but at least they paid me to leave. When when they tell you you're, you're too big for the job, they usually don't have to pay you like they had to pay me. If you're going to get laid off or fired, make sure they pay you. Uh, but if you're too big for it, do what Daniel does. Man, what an incredible, I, I love this show, Mikey, because I have no idea when I'm reading how big an idea is or how big a company will be. And these are the ones, a guy like Daniel, 10 years from now, you know, I'll be like calling and saying, hey, man, you want to come back on to my uh, new TV show on Bloomberg? Sorry, Dave, too, too busy for you. But thank you thank <laughs> no, for never your too office busy. hours 10 years ago. Uh, anyway, I love it. You're going to be a superstar. Remember this name, Daniel Dubois, uh, incredible business. We have life at key.com AT. Like Thanks, David and Mikey. And uh, hopefully one day, 10 years from now, moving from Shanghai to Berlin to New York without yeah. leaving the system. Don't forget us. Equity. Don't, don't forget us, man. I, don't forget <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Nothing. Thanks, guys. Bye for You're now. amazing. Man, Cheers. I got a 520 rule. He talks about getting it out of my head. I got to go to the next guest right now and get this thing out of my head with the jam-packed activity that you and I have during the day. You're saving lives. I got a longer mission, man. You save in the short term. Then I take over and, and try to save in the long term. Not always successful, though. Uh, I had an unfortunate, uh, uh, an unfortunate uh, occurrence. My last, I, lo- I lost a friend this last weekend to suicide. And man, does that? I'm sure that eats you alive when you lose one. Uh, it, it sets oh. me back a little bit. So uh, anyway, let's bring on Doctor Santor. 
Nisha Salki. Uh, he's here, speaker, author, researcher, professor, drsantor.com, founder and CEO of Mulholland Consulting Group. And uh, once again, we're talking about a happier workplace, being happy along my mission. You got an upcoming book even. Uh, congratulations, yeah. working with Gen Z. Recruit, retain, and reimagine the future of uh, the workforce uh, after COVID. I'm a big fan, uh, Santer, of entrepreneurship. I think in my history, there's never been an opportunity where you have so much freedom with so much security. You know, they, they never, ever have reconciled. But because of COVID, there's so many opportunities that have huge freedom and yet you still get benefits, a salary, commission, even equity of a multi-billion dollar corporation, you know, that you can earn over the years. You know, you're a fool if you're not looking at being an entrepreneur as, as well. Uh, so I, I'd love, you know, first to talk about Gen Z and how the future of work and recruit, which is a really difficult thing today, retain, which is even more difficult. And then I think reimagine is the easiest of it. I think everyone's been forced to reimagine or re-engineer or reflect uh, what they were doing. So uh, welcome to Office Hours. Love to get your perspective on that future of work. David, thank you so much. And Mike, nice to meet you as well. I'm um, sorry to hear about your friend uh, over the weekend. Um, that's, that's always tough. Um, and on that note, actually, well, Gen Z, they're born approximately 1995 to 2012. Some people say 97. Right, I, uh, I'm a millennial, a geriatric millennial, right? <laughs> As they're calling us now. And uh, I wrote my dissertation actually in college uh, uh, for my doctorate at Pepperdine in uh, millennial work environment preferences. So there's not like an exact science to, well, a lot of millennials may say, I'm not a millennial because I was born before uh, 1985 or something. So it's not really approximate, or it's not really specific, but more approximate. So as far as Gen Z, what can we expect? Um, well, what I've seen during the, so we actually did a study during the pandemic to help answer that question, uh, David, which is to, we did a, a nationwide survey and which is part of our book on what the Gen Z wants after the pandemic and what they need from the employers. And interestingly enough, David, and just hearing what you just said uh, before I came on, we found that Gen Z has been struggling. Uh, almost half uh, has been, had greater anxiety and depression from working from home and over half have uh, experienced loneliness. Uh, so that's kind of what some of the issues that we've seen, and we've seen it in the mainstream media. I know you, you do a lot with sports, you know, Naomi Osaka um, and other athletes, Michael Phelps. So I just, my question to you is, what are your thoughts on what employers and leaders can do to help support the employees' mental health? You know, uh, I hear you talk a lot about resilience as well, but yeah. what is the responsibility of leaders Mike, you, go, you go first, Mike, and then I'll close the show with my comments. Well, you know, <laughs> Sorry, a little deep. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a great comment. You know, you just, when you talk about mental health and you talk about a loneliness, and the biggest thing that people don't do is connect. So it's a job as a leader or any human being to get outside yourself and figure out what your people want and be there for them, but really be there for them. Do you know what I mean? And when I connected with Dave, I'll give you a perfect example. We did a podcast about a week before the pandemic. We had this incredible connection. I mean, it was incredible, right? And I said, could, could we do something else? He went straight away, let's do something else. Let's do something more. And he created a show and we became it. But the connection was really real and authentic. And I'm in Houston now. 
and I'm, I'm working with someone right one on one to help them through a really bad time. The one thing I work on is I surrender myself and connect with the person and leaders need to look at that other person and if they're struggling, say, what can I do to lift that person up? Do you know what I mean? And get them through the day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's moments because isolation really does kill people in their mental health and let the people know that they'll be okay and they've got support. Dave? I love that. Yeah. Be an intelligent follower to be a leader. Uh, but for, you know, for me, I'm going to talk more pragmatic. Um, you know, I've run huge companies and I run my company. And one of the things that we lose touch of, we think remote means disconnect or uh, no communication. What, what it meant was that we could control our schedules much easier to connect. So even if it was 100% remote, which everybody was in lockdown for some part of the pandemic, uh, I instituted something that I keep today, even though we're in a hybrid model. One, a Monday morning meeting. A Monday morning meeting that reminds everyone of our mission, of our values, and of our daily practices. Also to review with intention and attention the coincidences we want from the activities we all have planned and don't have planned, and even our sleep. And then on Wednesday, we have a check-in. And I make it, and bonus people, upon being a student of their calendar and prioritizing these meetings. See, I pay these people. So when I tell them how important a meeting is, that it, there is no excuse that, no, I got an important phone call, then you should not have scheduled it at 10 a.m. on Monday or noon on Wednesday. And you definitely should not have scheduled it from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. on Friday when I do a training every Friday, personally, as a leader, and also have a meeting afterwards to set the mindset, the heart set, and the concerts continue. We talk about Gen Z, millennials, geriatrics, you know, middle-aged <laughs> middle-aged mutant turtles like myself. Uh, but you know, I I, I want to write a book uh, or have someone smarter than me like you write the book. Why not take uh, the mindset, heart set, and conscious continuum of each of those labels instead of a, a year? Uh, because I promise you, there's someone being born today that will have a Gen Z mindset. Or a, yeah. or a geriatric mindset. I got, you know, I got Benjamin Button. He's 11 years old. He's living with me right now. The man is so wise. It's like living with little Buddha. Uh, so, he, you know, I don't know what generation his in energetic and genetic inheritance comes from. Uh, so I think we get into real dangers by giving someone a label and then them living up to the label. Uh, and we all know the story. You're a doctor of, you know, the teacher. They say, hey, you're, we, we picked you as one of the top three teachers in, in the state we're only going to give you exceptional students. And so they, the top teacher wasn't the top teacher. They just gave them that label. And then they gave the, uh, the teacher the perception that they were getting all the top students. Meanwhile, they got all random students, the same as any other teacher. And yet they had the top scores. All three of these teachers had the top test scores in the state from labeling them. So I think we need to start looking at the mindset, heart set, and conscious continuum. We have to make it a non-negotiable of a Monday morning meeting, a Wednesday check-in, a Friday training, and a Friday meeting in order to elevate and celebrate and empower instead of separate, diminish, and dissolve the confidence, the continuity, the collaboration that makes the collective consciousness of a business so productive, accessible, and gracious. Uh, and uh, you're, you're my guy to write that book, Dr. Sanchez. So <laughs> thank you so much. Come join us again. Uh, what an amazing show today. Dr. 
Santor Nishizaki, I hope I said that correctly, speaker, author, researcher, doctor, professor, and uh, people like you will help us all celebrate, ele celebrate, elevate, and empower. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Appreciate Thanks, it. Have a great morning. Awesome. Okay. All right, amazing. Mikey D. Take so away glad to be day. back. I'm going to let you go save lives. So what's the takeaway of the day? Um, you know, you said this really, she said this really incredible thing. And I think the thing that resonated me when you said about your daughter and Starbucks, sometimes it's not logical. Have the courage just to step into it. And like Richard Branson said, take a job that you're unqualified for and learn on the job. And that's what I've always done. I just get called to disappear to go to places and it's usually can you lock down with someone can, i'll figure it out i'll just figure it out and i just stay present i do a lot of meditations i don't change my daily routines i contact people like you with text messages to people i watch stuff when i can to stay inspired and i just figure it out and you know what my source god my higher power keeps me present so just have the faith to just step into the unknown Look at my career. Somebody would have told me even five years ago, I'd be executive producing big TV shows that are on Bloomberg and Amazon and movies and, you know, my own podcast and all the things I do, you know, ne never. I, uh, Bob Proctor a long time ago helped me develop those five daily practices, uh, which I'll send to everyone, David at dmelter.com. But, you know, once you know your what, what you want personally, experientially giving and receiving wise and who can help you and who you can help, you can figure out the how. And then you learn to prioritize now what's most important to you and apply your why. Don't go searching for it. And, uh, you know, Mike, uh, I, I need you to get off and go save a life uh, because I lost one this weekend. So let's uh, average the scorecard out. Go save a life for me and for that person. Empower, elevate, and celebrate your own life so you can elevate, empower, and celebrate somebody else's. Thanks for being such a Love dear friend. Day. Great talent. I love you. I can't wait to see you when you get back. Uh, good luck. Love you, Mike. Bye, buddy. Great, Mike Diamond. Diamond Life Fuel. By the way, Mikey, if you're listening real quick, you're on my new TV show, Coach, on NBC. Uh, so they they did my morning routine, and they saw that I had the Life Fuel uh, free commercial time. Dave Meltzer. Anyway. All right, everyone. We're rocking and rolling. It's more good news Wednesday. You want more good news? Come join me on IG Live, 8 a.m. Pacific time. We're rocking and rolling. You want those five daily practices? David at dmelter.com. Most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thank you so much. Take care.